The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. If you have your Bibles, you take them out with me. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 18. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we still, uh, as a staff, have been producing uh, videos throughout the week. They're released on Wednesday. Uh, the Wednesday video goes along with the sermon. Uh, Pastor uh, Scott, Pastor Spencer, myself, Pastor Matt's usually doing the camera, but we go over the, the sermon. We also do podcasts on Thursday. We release those. I'd encourage you guys to be a part of them and, and listen to them. We do that to hopefully encourage you. You guys can get to know us more. One of the things you might not know, though, is every single Monday we sit down to do the video. It's like 10 o'clock, 1030. I hear the same thing as I lead the video. So guys, what do you want to do with the sermon? Scott and Spencer both say, we, I really didn't hear much of it. Our kids, you know, we had our kids and stuff and I had to take them to the bathroom twice, you know, and they always have these excuses. But I do want you to notice today they're by themselves on the front right here. <laughs> Full attention I have this morning. And so I expect a great video on Wednesday. So I'd encourage you to tune in on Wednesday, even if it's a bad sermon, they'll hopefully pick that up. Anyways, Ephesians 1, 15 to 18 is where we'll be. Uh, we've been out of Ephesians for a little bit. Uh, because of Easter, we wanted to focus on the resurrection, uh, rightly so. And so we're going to jump back into Ephesians, where we'll be together for a while. Uh, but last time we were in this book together, we finished up Paul's opening sentence that went all the way to verse 14. And Paul showed us a great deal in this sentence. He showed us the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. And so we have the Trinity very clear in this opening line, in the work that is being done for us uh, by them, by God. And so this really is the jumping off point for Ephesians. So Paul has this grand opening and it really is catapulting us into the rest of what we're going to read and what we will look at together. So this idea that the Father has chosen us, the Son redeems us, and that the Holy Spirit seals us and guarantees us needs to be on the forefront of our mind as we continue on in this book because it's what brings the rest together. And so in light of all of that, as we enter verses 15 through 18 this morning, uh, when we read this, I want us to notice that Paul then enters into prayer. Now, he, some say he might have already been praying, uh, but we, we know that he is praying in verses 15 through 18, and he's praying for these believers. But we want to key in on what he is praying for. And we just sang a song a, a minute ago about prayer and us praying. And I think we will all admit prayer is something that is very important. We see that in scripture. But I think we also, many of us could admit that in our lives, it might not reflect that way, where we struggle in prayer. Most prayers that we hear are usually very man-centered, very focused on needs that we have. And God wants to hear our needs. But I find it interesting to see what Paul prays for as he just talked about all these things. And now as he is praying for this group of believers, the specific things that he is requesting of God for these believers to me is very interesting because it's not always something I hear even from myself when I pray or from others when I listen to them pray. And so I want you to notice what Paul is asking for in this prayer for the believers as I read verses 15 through 18 for you. Paul would say, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So we're going to break this down together. In verses 15 through 16, uh, we see Paul says there is a reason he is praying for these believers, and he's praying because he sees God working in their life. He first says, for this reason, right? So Paul states here, the reason he is praying for this church, again, is because God is working in them. He, he sees this. He sees this being evident. So often when you take words that we have been plowing through here in Ephesians through three through 14, actually what people would say when they, when they hear words like election, uh, predestination, assurance, guarantee, these types of things, a rebuttal that you will oftentimes hear from people is if we're going to teach that scripture teaches us about election and these different things, then why do we pray? Why do we evangelize? Why would we do anything? We just sit because it's God's will, right? And we know these things about God. And, and you were with me as we walked through this. We see that he speaks very clearly of these things. That, that would be the argument. I've heard that many of times when talking to people about these topics. But yet what we see Paul do is Paul just laid all of this out in one glorious sentence. In the very next line, what does he say? Because God is at work, I'm praying for you. Because God is working, that is why I am praying. We see that that's actually Paul's motivation in prayer, realizing if it wasn't God doing these things, then I really would have no need to pray. It's actually the exact opposite of argument. And so because Paul sees God working in this church, and maybe this letter was passed around, so in multiple churches, Paul is saying, be assured that I know God is working and I trust God is continuing to work and therefore I continue to pray for you. I continue to pray for you. So we see the sovereignty of God in all things should be the motivation of our prayer life. Knowing that God is working within the church, God is working within the world, causes us to have motivation to be on our knees praying even more for people, even more so, because we know the truths of God's word. We know what it says and we believe it and we hold true to it. And so we pray thusly that way, just like Paul is doing here. As I mentioned a moment ago, we know that prayer is so essential for the Christian. And one of the things I think that it shows, I really think our prayer life really shows the mark of our love for other Christians, for, for others around us. We have a, a prayer chain here at church that you can be a part of if you want to be a part of that, where you get emails of things to pray for, uh, and people do that. There's a way for you to even put prayer requests on there. I get asked often what, what that is. And it's, it's easy to do. You can go to our website and do that and put a prayer request. And then you'll have tons of people, hopefully, praying for you in that, in that need. And it's, it's very easy. It's easy to stop just for a second, to lift this person up who's sick or whatever it might be, whatever people are facing, and to pray. But I do think it can be a reflection on our lives. As we, as we look at our lives, following the will of the Lord, we're talking about prayer, life specifically, gauging how much do I actually love the people in this room with me? One telltale sign, how often do I pray for them? How often do I pray for their souls? Or how often do I pray that they would be blessed by God or be encouraged in his word or all these different things? Or maybe even in your own family. You love your family. You love your spouse. You love your parents. You love your kids. Well, how often do we pray for them? Or how often do we bring them before the, the throne of the Father? To say, God, I want you to love them and bless them and cherish them and use them for your glory and for your purposes. You know, I mean, that, 
I think about that in my own life. I do a lot of things for my kids to try to set them up for success, right? We think about a lot of different things that we want to put them in and them to be a part of or comfort and all this different things. Well, how often do I pray for them though? To the one who's actually working in their lives, to the sovereign God who actually has the plan for them. How often am I bringing them to them? Because if I love them, like I say I do, that would be the most loving thing that I could do is to bring them to the father very often. And we see Paul doing this here with this church. Paul was always praying, always praying, always doing, always very busy, always out evangelizing. He's the lead evangelizer of Gentiles. We have a lot to give to Paul. Thanks to him for his work. But also we, we so often in scripture, see him praying and him talking to these churches saying, I've been praying for you. I've been thinking about you. I've been lifting you up to the father in my prayers. I'm very thankful for you. Well, Paul continues on. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks. In verse 15 there, Paul, Paul says he knows God is working in the lives of these believers. And he gives two reasons. It's interesting the two things that he points out. He says, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love towards the saints. And it's interesting in scripture, Paul is actually very consistent with this in many places. When he talks about what is a true believer, he talks about these two things almost all the time. Now I just, I'm going to read for you two other places, but there's many others that you could go. But in Galatians five, six, Paul would write, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In Philemon verse five, he says, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. This was constant in Paul's mind when thinking about true believers and noticing that God is actually working in their lives. The two things, the two telltale signs, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, love towards the saints. So we need to understand what does that mean? Is that a part of our life? Is that something that we actually have? Well, we've been talking a lot about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what that looks like. Question is, have they put all of their trust completely in Jesus for everything they are, for the forgiveness of their sins? Do they look to Jesus and to him alone right, for their future, for their eternity, for everything that they believe? Do, if, if they read verses three through 14, would they say yes? And I put all my eggs into that basket, all my hope, all my faith, everything is on the person of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished in the work that he has done. That's, that's what everything is about for me. That's what faith in Christ is. That that's all I am, is Jesus. That's, a, that's all I have. That, that is my hope. That is everything. So that was the first mark for Paul. But then there was a second one. Do you love the saints along with you? This church has shown, obviously, some sort of love to other Christians and the work of the church. And it's obvious to Paul that this is taking place. Now, I don't know what that is. I don't know what's happening there. But something is happening, and Paul is pointing that out, noticing you are doing a good job of being the family of God, of loving each other, and for caring for each other. Now, I think I would miss a big point here if I didn't ask us this question as a church. Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, we're receiving a letter from Paul. Does he say the same about us? When we ask the county, we ask the community, what is Monroe Missionary Baptist Church known for? There's probably a lot of things that could be said. 
and not bad things, a lot, a lot of good things. You know, for a while with Pastor Roy, we do funerals. We do funeral luncheons. That's what we do. When I would talk to people, they knew that because we had done one for their grandma or their aunt or their cousin or somebody down the line. We had done a luncheon for them. That was great. That was fine. Or you guys do those plays, don't you? You do the dramas. Yeah. Again, nothing wrong with that. Yes. Yes, we do. We do those things. But what we really should strive for as a church is to be known of people who have a great faith in Jesus Christ and who he is, and also be known as a church who those people just seem to love each other. They shouldn't love each other. They're different. They, they, they shouldn't all gel together. But for some reason, that church just seems to be very loving. That when I talk to somebody and I find out they go to Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, you know, the, the things they have to say are always really good about each other. They talk well of each other often. I mean, you could think of it maybe like your marriage. It's wise to talk well of your spouse often. Man, if you go into work and all you do is complain about your wife all the time, that's a problem. That's a bad thing. If most of the guys you work with wonder, I can't believe you're married to her. That's a problem. It should probably be the other way around, honestly, in most situations. But we are to talk well of our spouse. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. It's the kind and loving thing to do. And same in the church. Sadly, oftentimes as pastors, we get to hear the negative things in church life. And I find how easily that just eats away at the good things that happen in church life. You can talk, not even just in our church, but you can talk to people at other churches and it's like gangrene when the negativity starts to come out about somebody and it really erodes the fabric and the foundation, it seems, of the church in the eyes of the community because you think you guys don't even care about each other. There's no love there. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because that's one of the foundational things we are supposed to be as Christians is loving towards other Christians. If you ever have the opportunity to read through the Bible, I'd encourage you to do it. It's something that you should do. But one of the things you'll find is more often scripture talks about you loving Christians than it does about you loving non-Christians. It's really something that blew me away when I first started reading through scripture on my own. I was like, I've always been told, love them outside, love them outside, love them outside. But it's amazing how often the Bible is telling me, love those in here. Love those who are part of the family of God and watch how I will use that to then include more into the family of God. And I think the Bible is very accurate and true in that. If we love each other faithfully, honestly, and truthfully, it'd be amazing how that would work in evangelism. It'd be amazing how that would work in our community. It would spread. People would hear about it. People would want to be a part of something to where they're not constantly judged to where grace is given to them often, not just by the Lord, but by the people the Lord has put them with. Well, we're not always thinking the negative about something, somebody, but we're always thinking the positive about somebody. That's what should be the mark of a church. And that is what Paul is talking about when he is talking about this church here in Ephesus. He says, I'm going to pray for you because I know the Lord is working amongst you. And here's how I know I see it in your faith for him. And I see it, how you love each other. Well, and thus I pray for you towards this. I think it's a good thing for us to look at. I know it is for me this week. 
and thinking about this because I'm definitely a glass half empty guy in my life, just in general, can always see the things to work on pulling into the church. I don't see that the grass was just cut. I see the dirty building. I see the bricks falling apart. I see this that needs to be done. That's just, I don't know why I made that way. I just am, but man, it can be difficult. And then God was just working on me. You know, you need to love each other, give grace, right? Be kind because this is a mark of true faith. Well, in verse 17, we finally see what Paul is praying and asking God for. So he's praying for this church because he sees God was working in their life. He sees that they have faith in the Lord Jesus and love towards all the saints. And then in verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So many things in the world that Paul could pray for. Yet what he asks for this church, for these Christian believers, is he asks that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation of him. Now, when Paul says this, he's not talking about some sort of new revelation. Okay, people can get lost there. And that's not what's happening here. Okay, this isn't some superior knowledge. Let's, let's elevate them to a new status. It's, it's nothing like that. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson has a quote in his book on, on Ephesians. He says here, revelation means essentially the same as illumination. Paul is not suggesting that Christians receive their own private revelation. Rather, the spirit brings us to know, understand, and live in the light of the revelation God has made of himself in Christ and through the spirit. This is what's being talked about here to know God through his word, which we have been given to know him through the person of Jesus and the, and the Holy spirit. And Paul is, Paul is pleading to the father on behalf of these Christians saying, father, help them to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to, to know you more. Being a Christian is this lifelong journey of knowing Jesus more and more and more each day. It's really fascinating. If you were to come this morning and let's say you walked the aisle and you knelt and, and you said, you know, pastor, I believe Jesus saved me today. There wouldn't be some click that you had all the answers. It wouldn't work that way. Wouldn't work that way. Probably just as ignorant as you were when you walked in about Bible things, you'd be about the same ignorant as you walked right here and knelt down. Now, maybe God opened your eyes to some truth to believe in Jesus as your savior, but you're probably still going to be just as ignorant. But yet we have this lifelong journey that we are called to, to know God more. And it's normally a very slow and gradual process. But one of the marks of a true believer is it's a process that must be taking place. It is a process that needs to be taking place. Nowhere in scripture can we find a place where Christians are called by God to do nothing, not just physically, but to do nothing intellectually. Where God says, I saved you. You're good. Don't, you know, just, just go do, do, do whatever, you know, you know, enough, you know, the cross, you know, the resurrection. That's good. That's right where I want you. No more. We just don't have that anywhere in scripture. In fact, instead, what I often see is faith is not ignorant or dumb at all. Faith is always learning. Faith is always growing. Faith is knowing God more and more, which is what Paul is speaking of here and praying for with this church. 
And God has been so gracious to us as believers to let us know him. We get to know him by his word. We get to read his word, reflect on his word, and the Holy Spirit enables us to see his word no more and to, and to know it more. And this is so important for Paul that the first thing he prays for, prompted by the Spirit, prompted by the Holy Spirit, to put it down in Scripture for us to have, is if there's something this church needs, they need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. God, would you please give that to them? Now, the counter-argument would be, well, Paul, they know everything. You just said it in 3 through 14. They know what the Father does. They know what the Son does. They know what the Spirit does. And you're saying they've already accepted all this. So why are you saying they need to continue to know? Because there's an advantage to knowing God more and more and more. I'll say it again. We're not saved and then done learning. I've heard this so many times. And to be honest, it's getting infuriating <laughs> when I hear it. All I need to know is Jesus, that he saved me and nothing else. Just give me Jesus and nothing else. I don't want to know. I don't need your doctrine. I don't need your theology. I don't need denominations. I don't need the church. I don't need any of this stuff. I have Jesus. He's my personal savior. That is all I need. Listen, that is not scriptural. It's, it will be found nowhere in the pages of this book. It's just not there. We're always being called to know God more, to be in relationship with him, to know his word each and every day. And this is why Paul would pray this. He's not just saying this so that we can all be nerds and push our glasses up and read all day. That's not the purpose of this. There's actually a purpose to Paul praying that we would know God better each and every day because it's actually very vital to our life. And you will see it. You see, sad, I don't know if, the, if sadly is the right word, but part of my occupation is being at funerals often. And I think a lot of funerals go very poorly. And the reason is we don't know God like we think we do. And you see it played out in the funeral service. You see it played out in the interactions that happen at a funeral and the things that people say. Look at verse 18. What, this is what Paul says. This is why he prays this prayer. I want them to know the spirit of wisdom, the revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Why? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? See, there's a reason for us to know God. It's because as we learn more about God, as we gain knowledge, and as the Spirit puts that into our heart and into our life, as we get to know him more, our hope becomes even that much greater. Our understanding of what he has really done becomes so enriched over and over and over again. And so when we battle the things of life that are so difficult, our hope doesn't fade because we know who God is. We know what's in store for us. And so that's why Paul would pray here, enlighten their hearts so they know the true hope in Jesus. When we know God, we rest in him. Even during the difficult times, as we said I don't know when the last time we sang this in church. It could have been last week for all I know. I don't pay too much attention to it. But we sing the song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. We like this song. We sing its truth. This is only true, though, if you know who the solid rock is. It's not just if you know his name, but if you know about him, if you know why he stands, if you know why he reigns forever, eternally, if you know that he's alive, if you know that he's at the right hand of the Father, 
If you know that he's the one that can hold you and save you and protect you forever and ever, if you just know his name, that's not enough. Right? When, we, when we know these things and the truth of him, then I can actually sing this song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. I don't just know about him, but I begin to know who he is. I, I know all that he's done for me. I tend to cling to him more. We also sing the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. It used to be a real popular one. I think you just say those words over and over again. Honestly, I don't know what the rest of the song is. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. We just keep saying that. What does that mean? Open my eyes and my heart to what? Well, it's to his word. God, open the eyes of my heart so that I can see the truth of the word, so that I can see you and, and know you. Know that you are for me and not against me, but know what that means, right? So that when it feels like you're against me because everything in this world is going wrong, I know no, what it means is you are so for me that before the foundations of the world, you have chosen me. Before the foundations of the world, you sent your son for me to die in my place for forgiveness of my sins. That's how I know you're for me. Not because I didn't get that job. Not because, you know, things at home have been difficult. All of a sudden I'm starting to sink. No, I'm on the solid rock because I, I know him. I love him. He loves me. And I know this because I see it reflected in his word over and over and over again. I really have to agree with James Boyce on this one. In his commentary, he was asked a question from some Christians. And the question was, what do you think Christians need the most? And I feel like in different ways, I've been saying this for quite a few years, rather ignorantly, honestly, being young and not knowing things, but just still being a little astute and seeing how things are going on. I feel this same way. His answer was very simple. I wish Christians would know God. I got to say, it's the same feeling that I have had. Too many times we settle for this superficial relationship with God. We act like his salvation is great, but having a real relationship with him seems like work, seems difficult. And so Jesus becomes this token savior, you know, this little token add-on that gets me into heaven and he's, he's good and all. But I don't really need to dive in and know him better and to, and to know him more. Sadly, a way I saw, this, I saw this projected this week, I shouldn't laugh about it, I probably should cry about it. I was listening to this pastor preach, and he got up to preach and he opened his Bible, and he was very adamant that he probably didn't need to preach because of the singing. And then he went on to say, I'm going to read a couple verses here, but I don't know if I'm going to preach. I don't know what I'm going to say. We'll just see what the Holy Spirit riles up. Well, then he went on to preach for 30 minutes, 35 minutes. He screamed a lot, yelled a lot, said the Holy Spirit was really working, said a lot of things about Jesus. But you could tell there was no preparation. You could tell there was no study. There was no planning. There was really no in-depth knowledge of the verses he was reading. In fact, the verses that were read, I don't even know if he talked about. But he said, he said Jesus a lot, and he was real excited about saying it. But to me, what it seemed to teach me watching this on the internet was that it's not important to study. It's not important to really know who God is. Just let the Holy Spirit do something in you and say whatever is being said. And it was a problem. I, I brought one of them. Well, Scott was gone. He was away, so it must have been Spencer. I said, you got you to hear this. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? 
He's like, yeah. And he kept seeing errors, you know, because that's what Spencer does. He's good at that. And I'm like, yeah, we don't need to keep listening to this. But it was like this point just jumping out at me. I felt like there was a pastor standing up saying, you guys don't really need to know God. Just let the Holy Spirit work something up in you and be excited about it. And then go out and feel that way and do that. No, we are told to know God, to know him more. So much so that Paul would pray for this church. Lord, give them the spirit of wisdom and in revelation and what? In the knowledge of him, of who he is, of what Jesus has done and what he has completed so that our relationship with him isn't superficial. You see, on the flip side of that, you have people like that who are hard for me, at least to deal with. On the other side, you get people who are just lost in theology they're just, they're just lost in knowing about Jesus, but when you talk to them, it doesn't seem to have changed them at all. They don't live this faith out that they say they know about. They would rather argue with you. They would rather debate with you than to ever take your hand and lovingly guide you or care for you in any way, shape, or form. Maybe you've met some people like that. I know I have, and they're not fun people to be around. You see, both ends of the spectrum have this wrong. Those with the, with the shallow knowledge, they often fall when the furnace gets hot. They often fade away. If you look around right now, I guarantee there are people who should be in here, who've professed faith at one time, but when things got a little hot, when things got a little difficult in their life, they slipped away. And the reason probably is it was a superficial faith. They didn't really know God. They didn't know who he was. Oh, they liked some of the benefits that they heard about, but they didn't really know him. Those with all this knowledge and little change of heart, what they often do is they beat people into hell. That's what I would say. That's how I would explain it. Now, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying that you know, they're the ones pushing them into hell. That's their own sin. People's own sin gets them into hell. But they show no love. They show no compassion. They just keep beating people with their Bible over and over and over again, over and over and over again. And as a result, you see no fruits. You see no real fruits in their life. You cannot have true faith in something you don't know. But you also cannot have true faith unless the one you know actually changes you. Changes you completely. Faith without complete understanding of who God is really can't be true faith. Right? Debating people can definitely be a part. Def debating people can definitely be a part of being a Christian, but it's not all of it. Now, I'm not saying, again, we'll use the example of somebody coming here and trying to, you know, they, they believe God is leading them to salvation, that God is calling them. Like I said, they're not going to know everything. Does that mean they're not a Christian? Absolutely not. Absolutely not but they just embarked on a lifelong journey to know him more every day. If what they're doing is true and real, they, they are saying, I'm on a lifelong journey where I'm going to know him more and more and more. The question for us, I think, as we read this little section is do we have faith in the Lord like we say we do? Do we really love the saints like we're supposed to? We have to answer that on an individual level before we can answer that as a church. In your life, 
Do you see yourself loving people how you are called to within the body of Christ God has, God has put you? Now, Pastor Spencer gave us a great reminder in the verses that he read this morning in Romans chapter 12. I don't know about you, but as he was reading that section on Romans chapter 12, it was like a lump in my throat because I realized how guilty I am of not doing that. Love your enemy, care about them, do all this stuff, speak kind to everybody, don't get caught in this and that. I think we've all been guilty of falling prey to that over and over again. Even though we know it's truth, we, we continue to fall prey over and over and over again. And it's the same thing in the stuff I'm talking about this morning. I don't expect perfection in how you love each other or how you love me. I hope you don't expect perfection in how I love you. We just, it's just not going to happen. We, we fall, we fail. It's just, that's all there is to it. But I can't ask, am I really striving first and foremost to love the Lord like I should? Do I really have a desire and a passion to know him more through his word? It takes work. It takes effort. But God in his great grace does help us to know him better, does grow us in that. But then also, am I really being honest in how much I love you? Am I, am I willing to put you before me at times? I think those are honest questions that we can look at and that we can see from this little section of Paul's prayer to challenge us this morning in our walk with the Lord. Are we known? as people who have great faith in the Lord and who love each other. If not, then we're known for the wrong thing. If not, that needs to change. Something needs to be different because we're not being known as we should in this community as a people of the kingdom of God. Let's bow together. Let's pray. I want to give us all a time to respond to God's word this morning. I think it was a challenging section in this. I know it was for me. So let's pray, and then we'll sing a song, giving you opportunity to respond to the word of God today. God, I thank you, as always, for the truth of your word. God, I thank you for the challenge of it. God, it's amazing for me to think of all that Paul had done, all that he was doing, what you had called him to, the experiences that he experienced, all these different things. But yet, we see that he loved your church so much that he spent time praying for them. And God, I don't think that's just words that he penned and we have now in the Bible. I think it's true. I, I, I believe he did that. He thanked you for those in the church, and then he would pray for them. God, this morning, we want to do the same. God, we thank you for Jesus. We, we thank you for what he accomplished as we got to celebrate over the past couple weeks with Easter. and We had Good Friday, all those different things. God, we thank you. I pray that you would help us to remain steadfast in him each and every day. God, that we would know him better, to know him more, to never feel we have to get away from what oftentimes we call the simple things, the gospel. God, how each day we need that gospel message. We need to be reminded of it. We need to understand it more and more and more. God, so that we can have that hope that is talked about. Because God, all of us face difficult times. Many people right now are facing difficult times. Many people in our church have lost loved ones. Uh, many things with COVID have ravaged in our county recently. But God, that shouldn't cause us to lose hope in you, knowing who you are. 
God, that can only be done through knowing you and the wisdom that comes from you. And so, God, we do want to know you more. We want to have our faith emboldened each and every day. But God, I also want to thank you for the church family that you've given me. God, we can bug each other at times. We can get frustrated at e- with each other at times. But God, I pray that it would always, always be known, the, the love that we have for each other. That it'd be evident, that it would be seen. God, that it would be real. That we'd be willing to sacrifice for each other, to care for each other, to be patient, to give grace, to not think about the worst of people, but to think about the best. God, we all have work to do in our lives. We all are being molded and made into the image of your son, but we're just not there. And so, God, I pray that we would have that understanding amongst each other and that we really would love and care for each other. God, I thank you. I've been a part of this church a long time. It's meant a lot to me. Many people have loved me very well. And so I thank you for them. But God, as a church, help us to be known as people who love you, who have a great faith in Jesus and in your word, who hold fast to it during all things, but also to be known as a church who's loving, who really does care for each other. And God, I know that if we love each other how we should, your word tells me that it will, it will spill out to the community, to people who are lost, just like we read with Pastor Spencer. Even our enemies, we'll love them. We'll care for them, even if they don't do that for us. So God, work in our hearts now as we sing this song. I pray we respond to your word how we should, but also that we'd be able to praise you through singing. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.